Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. What's up? Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, which means we are two days away from the closure of the Canadian Investor Podcast Index. We need your submissions. We have two days left. So reminder, if you have not put in your TCI Index pick, let me know. Again, the instructions are you go to getstockmarket.com. At the top there, there is a form where you're going to put the ticker of the stock you would own for the foreseeable future, one stock. You can only pick one. And give me a short thesis, you know, paragraph, two paragraphs tops on why you like it and why you want it in the TCI index. It can be on any North American exchange, Canadian, U.S. stock. Give me your picks. All right. I'm Braden Dennis, joined by Simon Belanger. Simon, how are we doing on this June afternoon? Oh, it's going well. Uh, just finished working and then hopped on the computer to uh, to start recording. So uh, summer seems like summer is going to come around at some point. Had some new f- few nice days, but uh, I think it's it feels like it's still in the rear view mirror from last year, though. <laughs> it's because you're in Ottawa, man. It's it's cold there all the time. So today we are going to talk about something that I thought was a good topic because. If you know me and if you are subscribed to the Stratosphere Investing membership platform, then you know I hardly ever sell stocks. I think the winning strategy is to buy and hold and money is made by not selling. It's the the art of not selling. However, Simon and I both sold positions in the exact same sector in the last um, last month or I don't know when you did it, but I sold mine in the last two days and I sold the real estate investment trust that I have thought is owns the highest quality property in all of Canada, which I still believe is true. And that is allied REIT and allied REIT has been a tremendous cash flow compounder, uh, tremendous income grower. Um, and they have been really, really good at dominating the tech startup landscape in Toronto, Montreal, and other major cities as well. And Simon, I'm going to speak on your behalf. I know you liquidated Brookfield Property Partners. That's correct? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I wanted to talk about the sell rules that I have. I have very laid out on my website buy rules and sell rules. And I think the actually the most important bucket of that is I also have the avoid rules, which we've talked about companies that I avoid. Um, and I think that's where um, I've avoided all of the mistakes that are out there in the market of companies that I just simply avoid. But today, we're going to talk about the sell rules because selling is actually harder than uh, than buying in a lot of ways. If a stock is down, it takes the like the psycho- psychological pain of selling when a stock is down. I think that means nothing other than a psychological uh, a loss if it's in a uh, if it's in a registered account. So, without further delay, 
I'm going to talk about my first three cell rules, which are, these are the three cell rules. And then, uh, Simon, you can give me your take on them and then uh, say why you particularly sell stock as well. So I'll, uh, I'll go here. So number one, I sell companies with a slowing top line growth rate. It's no secret that I like buying companies with a growing top line. That's 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 just uh, what I like to do. I think that companies who are generating cash, all cash entering the business comes from the top line. You want to see that top line growing because um, if you're not growing, you're sinking, uh, in my opinion. So as soon as that top line growth starts to stagnate and is trending downwards, I'm uh, not as excited in, in the company as, as I was before. So that's one. Number two, since I buy companies with a, a competitive advantage, if I notice that that competitive advantage is significantly changing, whether there's new disruptors, whether the, the secular industry has just completely changed, um, if I'm noticing a, a slipping of competitive advantage, then you know I, I'm not as interested in the stock anymore and I will sell it. Number three, now this is similar to number two, but this is the reason that I sold Allied Real Estate Investment Trust and is I sell companies that are on the wrong side of a large secular trend. At the beginning of COVID-19, I didn't think I was going to be selling this this office real estate investment trust that you know has office space because I'm like ah oh, people will be back to the office people miss the office um and they're building this large headquarters for Shopify downtown Toronto uh they're gonna you know that's gonna be their global headquarters it's great for allied blah 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 last week Shopify Facebook Twitter all announced we won't be going back to the office. And then now there's this huge wave and wave and waves of companies that are just not going to be going back to the office or are, are going to be doing half office, half home, not just for the rest of COVID, but they're realizing that that is now what they will be doing moving forward. And I think it is on the wrong side of a large secular trend that you should not ignore. It is a huge mistake of investors to ignore large, obvious secular shifts in how we do business and how certain companies operate. And I would say that office space is on the wrong side of that secular trend. And Simon, I'm imagining that uh, you had a similar mindset with uh with brookfield property partners so do you want to walk us through you know why that uh came into your mind because as as you know and you'd probably agree with me selling stocks is harder than buying stocks um yeah so selling is definitely a, a bit of a psychological challenge when you think about it because you've put the time you invested in that company you did some research well i hope people uh, did some research when they invest in companies um so yeah you have to make that decision and a lot of people it's that um they're afraid of uh you know that time commitment or the 
the loss feeling that they have because they're afraid if they sell, it goes up and then they made a bad decision. Well, for me, that's not really part of the decision whatsoever. Yes, it sucks selling a stock if you've lost money on it. But at the same time, uh, my reasoning is, can I use those funds and invest them elsewhere and get better returns? Because that's really what you have to think. Even if you're down 25, 50%, can you sell those um that company and use those the funds the proceeds that you've you've got from selling elsewhere and get a bit better return on it because you know what's done is done you've invested the money in it it is what it is right now so you have to take a decision um so all the criteria that you mentioned i think are very good criteria i tend to have an approach that's uh i don't have hard set rules i would say i look at it more at a kind of cons contextual basis if i like to to put it because i know um there's other podcasts and i think uh, if um you guys listen to andrew sater and investing for beginner i know andrew has some very strict guidelines and i don't really agree with having strict guidelines like that because if you have you can have a good company that'll for example decide to cut their dividend in a really really tough environment or a black swan event like we're going through right now um, and the dividend cut might just be on a temporary basis and it, it is the right move so selling that company just based on that to me um, can be sometimes a mistake um, so yeah definitely if uh, there's some warning sign uh, like Braden said uh, slowing of the top line is something I would keep an eye on um, something else that I always keep an eye on is um, if management constantly do, does not fulfill their promises. So that's why it's important to look at the annual reports, listen to the conference calls, but more than one year, listen five years out and see when management says something, if they're actually doing it. Because management, some management teams will promise things and then they'll never deliver on it. So that's a big warning sign as well. Um, and like you said, one of the biggest determining factors for me when I decided to sell Brookfield Property pa Partners was the changing landscape um, that's happening because of COVID-19. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I did not think I would sell them whatsoever, but then has uh, this dragged on, um, businesses were closed, and the problem with Brookfield Property Partners is the majority of their assets are actually in um, com well, commercial properties or uh, office buildings and retail. They also have a small portion that's uh, um, housing, so apartments that they're renting out, but the problem with office space and retail um, is those are two places that will be hit very hard going forward, even if we get back and there's a vaccine and people want to go shopping again. Well, there's a lot of people that probably never thought of doing shopping online before this all started that now, yeah, they might go in person once in a while, but they're so used to using Amazon or whatever they're using online that they're going to shift their behaviors. And that's one of the things I think will happen is even when we do get a vaccine, a lot of behaviors will have change when it comes to consuming goods in terms of retail. So that was part of my reasoning for Brookfield. And another thing that really alarmed me is they said that they would be helping out retailers in their malls and they're high quality malls, but they're helping out retailers that are going bankrupt. Well, that's there's some really there's a lot of red flags there if you're trying to help out or bail out some of the retailers uh, because they're your tenants, because they're struggling, um, you're loaning them money or giving them money, whatever you're, you're doing with them, um, that creates 
you know, some problems that could very well come later on. And now you're, you're needing more money to do that. And there's a whole lot of different things that, uh, that kind of sounded the alarm bells when it came to Brookfield property partners. Um, Obviously, they're different than Allied property REITs. I think Allied's a bit more off. If, is it exclusively office space for Allied? or Not exclusively, but that is their bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, a little bit of the same reasoning. And if you look, if you compare, like, what's interesting with Brookfield, and we've talked about how we do like Brookfield, and they have the, uh, the different uh, Brookfield, they have uh, Brookfield Property Partners, uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners, Infrastructure Partners, uh, I think Business Partners. And obviously, they have Brookfield Asset Management that owns a good chunk of each. And if you look at Brookfield Asset Management and you compare it to Brookfield uh, Infrastructure Partners or Brookfield Renewable Partners, you'll notice that uh, those two have actually been doing quite well compared to BAM or Brookfield Asset Management because Brookfield Property Partners has been a drag a little bit on uh, Brookfield Asset Management. So... All that to say that I think your rules are very good. I tend to look at the situation as a whole. There's not like one specific thing I look at. I don't have hard set rules personally. I look at it from uh, just a situational perspective. And again, I think the most important is can I use those funds better elsewhere? Very good point. And yeah, we were talking about Brookfield Property Partners, which is ticker BPY, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and we have talked. We have talked about the large family of Brookfield companies. Um, I am still aggressively buying Brookfield Asset Management at these prices. I think it is tremendously undervalued because of that BPY effect on it. However, it is a very, very small piece of BAM as a whole, and for that reason, I think it is a tremendous opportunity to pick up Brookfield Asset Management at this price because you know the infrastructure partners, BIP is doing incredibly well. They're uh, looking to do some massive uh, acquisition of a Saudi Arabian company. Uh, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that was the news today. And you bring up a good point about retail. We are seeing the amount of bankruptcies happening in retail just this week. Reitman's and Pier 1 Imports filing last week was uh, J.C. Penny. This is the theme of the amount of bankruptcies happening in retail. This is not. Um, this is not. This trend is not going to stop. We are going to see more. The ones that are going first are the ones that already had the writing on the wall. These are the companies that already had you know, they were already going in that direction before COVID. And that was the nail in the coffin um, is the ones that we're seeing go first. But it's not done yet. Um, Ones that have not shifted to e-commerce effectively and been late to the game, been slow movers on that. uh, There's there's more bankruptcies to come. Um, Because, you know, the economy isn't great. And it leads me to the question, why is the stock market up? People are asking me, why is the stock market up? And the, the, the quick answer is the stock market is divorced from reality sometimes. And it can remain divorced from reality for a long time. 
So this idea that people are going to say, oh, it's a V, it's a W, it's a, you know, whatever shape they want to say recovery. Well, this crystal ball that you seem to have, uh, you know, let me have some of that, but that's, uh, that's not, it's not going to work. So it can remain divorced from reality for so long that by the time the economy recovers, the stock market keeps chugging along. Who knows? Anywho, I digress. Uh, those three things you said, I like, I like how you don't have hard set rules. The three rules that I have, as you notice, are mostly uh, qualitative other than the slowing top line revenue growth being quantitative. But again, I don't have it. If it declines more than 5% or I don't have some hard set rule. And I also like how you brought up uh, selling a stock because they cut their dividend. Um, is 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 a somewhat silly rule for for a main reason that I'll explain. If a company cuts their dividend, chances are that before that press release comes out, the writing was already on the wall that that was going to happen. So you either are selling too late because you weren't you weren't uh, you know taking notice that this company's clearly struggling paying a very unsustainable dividend the, the payout ratio is too high um, and then all of a sudden the news comes out and you're going to liquidate it and, and the rest of the market's going to punish it as well so you were kind of just late to that move in my opinion and sometimes a cut of a dividend makes sense I tweeted on our podcast uh, Twitter last week that I believe that new flyer ticker NFI, the bus manufacturer, should have cut their dividend years ago. It made no sense that they were paying a 5% yield and 65% of cash flows to the dividend when it's in a large growth sector of electric buses in this electrification movement, getting awesome government contracts all around the world, starting to get their manufacturing back together. It was all the makings of a good turnaround story, um, but they're paying out so much to this dividend, and I voiced in the podcast that we talked about New Flyer that they should have cut the dividend, and I would have bought the stock. So I guess it's good that they're using this. You know, everyone's cutting, a lot, a lot of people cutting dividends now in this in this environment, and they're able to do it without getting, you know, punished too much, but if I'm a shareholder of New Flyer, it's almost like a like you can breathe again because this dividend was gripping their growth uh, in a in a company that does not need to be paying out seventy percent of cash flows uh, when it's in this large growth industry um, and starting to execute better. For me, it made a lot of sense. So yeah. I, I like that. You, I like that you that, that you pointed that out. And you have to keep in mind, too, exactly to what you were saying is you have to put things into perspective, right? If a company cut the dividend like two years ago, for example, uh, because they weren't really managing it all that well, they didn't foresee the future, they, you know, a bunch of things led to that poor management mainly, that's way different than a company who might be cutting the dividend right now just because they're being cautious about the the situation going forward. Uh, in the next year or two and they're being prudent by cutting the dividend and building their cash reserves and paying off their debt so those are two really different situations but 
two situations where the company actually cut the dividend. And that's why I don't love having hard rules on selling if the dividend is cut. I think context is everything when it comes to that. And if a company you're investing in, you're investing, invested in or looking to invest in and they've recently cut their dividend dig a bit more into it and understand why they did it um, and then that'll give you a good answer whether you should be selling the stock if you already own it or you know if it's a good if you don't own it maybe it is a good opportunity to start building a position for the stock absolutely all right those are our why when to sell why to sell a stock i have three hard set rules um sorry they're not after after all that conversation they're not hard set rules i have three defined rules in terms of in my mind qualitatively if they're and, and the reason for selling allied here that we just want to bring up is you do not want to be on the wrong side of a large secular shift and this is why i believe over the last 10 years deep value investors have horrendously underperformed because they've been on the wrong side of large secular shifts and that's why the stock is so deeply underpriced based on previous results and They'll say, oh, the intrinsic value or even the cash on the balance sheet's worth more than the business, yet those valuation multiples never saw the growth, an expansion in those multiples because the business is declining. It's in the wrong side of a large secular growth trend. And if the writing is on the wall now, it's prudent management to, you know, bite the bullet. Say, who cares if you have to sell the stock at a little bit of a loss if you're going to deploy that capital into a better idea? And there are so many good ideas out in the stock market that you don't need to hold on or look for deep, undervalued stocks when they're on the wrong side of a secular shift. So this is a good leeway to... The stock we're going to talk about today, Spotify. You might be listening to this podcast right now on Spotify. I know I listen to my podcast on Spotify. I used to use Apple Podcasts. Um, and I am an exact example of all the reports coming out in podcasting that Spotify, month after month, quarter after quarter, is taking a lot of market share in the podcasting space. They signed Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience, which is the largest podcast on the planet, millions of downloads um, every month, and it's like incredibly performing. And they're giving him an exclusive deal to, to, uh, to podcast on Spotify. Spotify has been acquiring different podcast firms all across the world, and they are able to monetize them in very, very creative ways that I'll get into. So Spotify, if you don't know, the business model is on a, well, there's two, there's two pillars, really. There is the one pillar where they have the freemium model. So you enter in as a free user, you get ads, 
and there's you know that revenue source from there. Sixty percent of users on that freemium will subscribe to the premium, which is around thirteen bucks a month. So it's very similar to a Netflix subscription. So you then now are ad free, can download it right onto your device, play it offline, um, and now you're in that like SaaS model of the thirteen a month for the software. So there's the two there's the two different users and they're monetized different. To give you some numbers here, two hundred and eighty six monthly active users in Q one of twenty twenty compared to two hundred and seventeen this time last year, a growth of thirty one percent year over year and five percent quarter over quarter uh, from Q one to Q four twenty nineteen. And the growth of the premium subscribers and the ad-supported free users both being 31% and 32% respectively. So this business is growing very, very rapidly. Um, And they have all of the makings of like Netflix five years ago, in my opinion, it is not cash flow positive, so would not meet any of my screens in the Investable Universe for Stratosphere membership. However, I think it's worth looking at from potentially a small position in your portfolio for the reasons of it is on the top of a large secular trend in audio and I think they are going to dominate the podcasting space in the next 10 years. Uh, that is that is very clear in the data that they are just taking all of the market share right now. And uh, Apple is losing that. Now, here's the, th- the third thing to, to this pitch that I think is very interesting. They are very, very good at showing you through machine learning what you want to listen to. Thank you, Spotify, for, you know, as a user myself, I have found so much good music. It's incredible because of this algorithm that they're doing. They're saying, hey, Brain, you like this? You might also like this. And they're almost always right. So in that, they're collecting so much data and they're owning now a lot of the podcasting uh space in terms of creation of new podcasts they're going to throw those to the top monetize those they're going to say hey listen to this podcast they're monetizing that podcast and they're getting all this data if i skip through an ad oh brayden doesn't want to be sold this toothbrush oh but he listened to this financial uh, high interest savings account let's give him some more of that So these three amazing verticals of revenue, collecting revenue like a toll booth through data, monthly subscription, and advertising, I think that uh, through audio, Spotify is going to be, you know, a big ticket company going through the next decade. The valuation is rich, so I can't wait for Simon to, uh, for you to roast me on that, Um and it, and it does take a leap of faith buying companies that are pre-cash flow positive, no earnings, um, and, and is not my style. 
However, I look at this company and these numbers and the secular trends that I'm seeing, and I'm very interested. So, Simon, where where in this pitch am I? Am I am I uh, am I wrong, or am I you know going nuts looking at companies that are you know <laughs> not even close to cash flow positive at this point? Well, first of all, I never thought I'd hear you. I'd hear you talk about company that's not close to cash flow positive and not paying a dividend. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> I'm usually this the one the that talks money, about those. Man. Yeah, this is yeah, the fun money. Yeah, I'm usually the one that talks about those. But uh, yeah, well, my question for you is, uh, my first one is, and probably my biggest concern I'd have with Spotify is how much pricing power do they have? And that's the biggest thing. Like I, is, if they get more content on a podcast that's exclusive to their platform, like Joe Rogan, I can see them having some more pricing power. But when it comes to music, I mean, I... I do love their Discover Weekly and all that stuff, but I feel like a lot of people will have a price point where they'll just be like, you know, if it increases too much, I'm just going to switch to another platform. So do you, do you not think there's a bit of a limit to the price increases they could give uh, customers when those, uh, yeah, to increase their revenue once they the, the customer acquisition growth kind of slows down? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a fair question. Uh, the pricing power, it's sim. It's I, when I'm looking at this, I'm just instantly drawing comparisons to the video streaming, and they have all increased prices. As you know, Netflix has increased prices, uh, you know, effectively without losing their subscriber base, without any churn, with or with, or with very little churn, and. I think that'll continue to happen, and I don't think they need to massively increase prices. They're mostly looking to increase the user base, and if they need to increase prices, you know, they can at least do it at inflation at this point. I would prefer a business that can, you know, pretty much make up whatever price they want. However, the reason I think it's okay is when I compare it to Netflix that spends billions of dollars on new content think of the gross margins on audio in comparison of new of of if they do their own podcasting platforms if they do their own um like they have their own music studios like all this kind of stuff similar to the path that netflix took by just dominating all the content that goes into it i could see them doing that um but the, the margins are so much higher. Think about how much higher the margins are on a podcasting platform versus Game of Thrones. And I know that's an HBO show, but as an example, the margins are so much better. And I see a path to cash flow positive much easier for Spotify than Netflix, even though Netflix is so much bigger. The margins are... So to me, night and day. Um, so the gross margin here on uh, on Spotify is, is 25%, which is low for software. So I would like them, to, and it's been trending up, and they need to keep trending that up because I think that that will eventually make them cash flow positive. Uh, I just think it's a slightly better business model. I mean, audio... I, I take the streetcar to work. 
in Toronto, every single human is listening to music or podcasting in the morning. And the amount of influence and advertising that they're able to throw their way, whether they're a, a free subscriber or a paid subscriber, I think the runway for growth for them over the next decade is absolutely monstrous. So I hope that answers your question, but I, I like getting grilled on the, these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, no, it was a good way to put it. I think for me, it all depends, especially on their production. If they start uh, uh, signing artists and then kind of owning that content a bit more, when especially it comes to audio excluding um, podcast itself, I think it's a good move for them to go to podcasts and having original content. Um, traditionally, music streaming has not been super profitable for them that I'm aware of. So I think that'll be a big factor in determining how much it can grow the business going forward and be cash flow positive. And I could see them. I mean, I, re I really don't know if they've mentioned anything about that. Um, but that would be interesting if they look into going in the uh, concert business um in the years to come because you can probably make a case that uh, live nation or eventbrite or anything like that um they will be struggling big time in the next year or two and it could be an opportunity for a spotify to kind of swoop in and take some of that market share and really tie it in all together with their business i think that would work quite well um have you ever thought about that you should work at Spotify because that's a genius idea. You know how they like show you they they show you they show you. Hey, you need to go to this concert. If you're a, if they have data on you that you really like band A, and band A is in town next week, they're gonna just absolutely grill you with ticket options. You know the whole time. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty cool. I'm just reading here from their uh, from their letter to shareholders for Q1. Our business remains very healthy with more than 1.8 billion in liquidity, and we expect to be free cash flow positive for the year. Overall, despite some changes in listening patterns, we are encouraged with the trends we are seeing and continue to be optimistic about the underlying growth fundamentals of the business. Very interesting. They expect to be free cash flow positive. They were in Q4 of 2019, it looks like. So I'm wondering what the seasonality is in terms of cash flows. Uh, I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you. So, I mean, that's that's kind of cool. Within the year, they expect to be free cash po free cash positive. So, I mean, would that change your, uh, your opinion there, Simon? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it's, uh, I mean, I don't, have an issue with investing in companies that are losing money as long as there's a real clear path to profitability and there's the business is growing um, we've talked about uber time and time again i think for them the only way there will be become profitable is if there's uh self-driving cars like it's that simple i don't think i can't anticipate them being profitable until then so there's definitely more uh potential for spotify and for me i see them as a potential disruptor in the music industry as a whole um i think that industry is really is really up for being disrupted just because you have uh, i've never been a fan of uh, live nation because i find they really take advantage of artists so if spotify can really disrupt that space um, help themselves obviously help grow their business but at the same time even help artists i think it it would be a win-win situation so that's kind of my take on it
Totally, totally, I agree. And and at thirty five cent euros, actually, this is it's a Swedish yeah, it company. Is a euro. Yeah, it's a Swedish company at thirty five billion euro market cap. You know, the valuation is is quite rich. I mean, it's not like there's some small player. You know, like a ten bagger turns into a th- only a three hundred and fifty billion <laughs> only in. Uh, in, in euros. So the, you know, that's, that's kind of the other thing, right? Is like, are you too, are, are, is this all already priced in? So these are all the kinds of things that I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm looking at this business, but it looks like if this data is correct at only five times sales and, and 4.8 times enterprise value to sales. So reasonable for the growth rates. When I look out in the market and I see crazy valuations on much slower growth, this looks this looks quite interesting to me. Um, from you know, usually these fast growing non profitable companies that are like these days ten times sales, fifteen times sales is nowhere out of the norm. I see that more often than not. Uh, so five, if this is correct, looks quite attractive in my opinion. So let's leave it at that. We talked about Spotify today. We talked about when to sell a stock or when we sell stocks anyways. We will see you guys next week. If you have not, you have two days to give me your pick to the uh, (laughs) Stratosphere Index, the Canadian Investor Pod Index. One pick. Give me a quick thesis. Me and Simon are going to go through them. Watch, we're going to get like 10 Spotify requests now. Um... Give me, give me, give me your best shot. You know, if if there's some high flyer that you're too scared to put in your own portfolio, but you want to track it through this, give it to us. We will put it in the index. But tell me why. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Bye bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.